0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. From chaos to Christ, we're starting a new series looking at the life of David. And uh, I was thinking this week about about my life, and I've had some crazy stories, Uh, some crazy things happen, sometimes they're on my own doing mistakes I made, but uh, there's been just God's allowed me to do some crazy stuff, right? Um, I've been able to bungee jump off Victoria Falls in Zambia. Uh, Drove a taxi in Taiwan. I grabbed a crocodile's tail in Costa Rica. Uh, uh, We were in a crocodile boat tour, and the guy yelled at me a lot, but because you're not supposed to do that, they're wild, and, but, and I, as I shared with you guys last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, I've even thrown up on my Spanish teacher, so I've had all kinds of crazy stories, and, and sometimes I think, man, I've been blessed with this crazy life, but this couple of we- past couple of weeks, my kids have been taking this online class, and, and their teacher was this guy, Leland Melvin. And Leland, uh, is an amazing story. Leland uh, went to the University of Richmond and played football and he got a degree in chemistry and then he was drafted by the Detroit Lions. Leland went to spring training and pulled a hamstring and he ended up being out that whole season. Uh, They cut him and he was picked up by the Dallas Cowboys and at spring training or at the spring camp pulled the other hamstring, was out again and was cut but still, he made it to the NFL. That's awesome, right? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't you love to be able to tell people I made it to the NFL? If I had just done that one year, uh, that would have been like the pinnacle of my life. You would be the keen of all stories anytime we were coming together, be like, you know, when I was in the NFL. And, uh, and so that would be it. But for this guy, he goes on, he goes back, gets his master's degree in engineering, and he gets connected with NASA. He works his way up through NASA, And he's chosen to be an astronaut. He uh, has gone on two missions into space. And so this guy has not only been in the NFL, he's been in space. Like, I don't think I could think of a more manly man, a cooler story than this guy, right? So, like, any party, he's going to top all stories. You know, that time I was in the NFL, we did such and such, but it's one time I was in space. uh, And and be like, oh, man, Leland, it's awesome. But then this week, we were, I've been studying a lot into David, and, and I sat down, as we were starting the series, I sat down and read David's life story in the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and that's where we're going to be for the next couple of months, is, is those two books. And I dove into it, and I was like, that is an amazing story. Like, I think Leland's got an awesome story, I think I got some fun stories, but David's life... It's incredible. Think of all the things, just the highlights, the big pictures. You know, David uh, was a shepherd, which doesn't sound like much, but he had bears and lions, it says, that came and attacked him. This one time I was in the field and the bear came. All right. He killed Goliath. Uh, He was a mighty warrior. He led armies. Uh, He was a musician. He was a skilled, like, of all the land they brought him in to play the harp. Not the most manly, but that's all right. Um, It probably was back then. I apologize. If there's any harpist out here, and I've offended you, I greatly apologize. We'll talk about it later, and you can show me how manly it is to play the harp, all right? So I'm sorry. Uh, He was a king. Uh, He was on the run for much of his life. People were trying to attack him, trying to kill him. Um, He had some crazy stories. He was a writer of the 150 Psalms. David wrote 73 of them. I don't know if you realize that. He wrote half of the book of Psalms. This guy has the most amazing life. And so we're going to be looking at this life and looking at what it was like, but in the midst of all these crazy stories, and, and some of them are, are bad stories. Like I said, um, there's, there's stories in my life that are by my own mistakes. There were mistakes that David made, and, and I'd venture to say mistake is too soft of the word. There are some horrible sins that David committed that led to more crazy things in his life. But we see all throughout his life, God was with him. But all throughout his life, you could sum it up in one word, chaotic. Chaos. This describes what was going on around him all the time, from people wanting to kill him, the the current king wanted to kill him, to later when he's king and his son wants to kill him, to his first lieutenant wants to kill him. A lot of people are uh, are wanting to kill David, which is probably not the world's best theme, right? Um, It's been chaotic as a shepherd, wild animals. Wanting to kill him, all right? I am picking up on something here. Um, and so there's all kinds of stuff. His life has been chaotic as he's been running. And he's been avoiding, avoiding, the, avoiding enemies and avoiding nations. His life was chaotic as he's ru- leading as a nation that's being attacked by other, other countries uh, as the king. His life has been chaotic. And I think about our time. As we talk to the staff, we talking about chaos that's going on around us. This is a chaotic time, right? Every time you look on, online, you watch the news, there's just chaos going on across this nation. In big cities and small, there's chaos of riots. There's chaos uh, of way people are interacting with each other. There's the chaos of this COVID. There's the chaos of, think about this. We don't know if school's going to start in August or how it's going to start. When in the history of America have we not had school, right? Um, Imagine when you were a kid, August comes, you know that means school's here. It means summer's over. It means running out and, and playing with your friends has ended. As a parent, you know August comes and it means school starts and things are a lot more regular and peaceful and quiet in the house. We don't even know when school's starting. Think about that. This chaos time. Some, some of you are out of a job or don't know if you have a job or unfurloughed, and, and it's chaotic in your home. Some of us are, are experiencing so many different things and trying to figure this out this chaos. And so we're gonna see David, in the midst of his chaotic life, is gonna cling to one thing, and that is God. We're gonna see that the Spirit of God comes upon him in this chapter that we're gonna look at today. And it's the same thing that we can cling on to in the midst of our chaotic world right now is Christ. And so, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to 1 Samuel. Uh, we'll be in chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up on the screen. And let me give you a little background about these books. <clears throat> 1 and 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a wonderful book telling about the transition from when there was a time, the there was a time of judges that led Israel. Israel's come out of Egypt, and they and God didn't want them to have the king. God wanted him to be the king. God wanted them to turn and follow him, follow God wherever God was leading. And so they had this time of judges, which was like leaders that kind of God raised up at different times to be able to lead the nation, and it was leaders, but it wasn't a king. And the people would often turn to the high priest for, for wisdom. They would turn to these judges. And so Sam, the first book of 1 Samuel opens up with a young boy uh, named Samuel being in the temple with Eli, the high priest. And, and Samuel hears God's voice for the first time. God calls him out. He says, Samuel, Samuel. And so Samuel ends up hearing God's voice and communicates with God that night as a young boy. And God continues to communicate with him from then on. They have this relationship, and, and this is how God has now tra- transitioned. They used to look to the high priest of Israel for the spiritual connection to God, and now we're going to see that at this book is where it shifts from the high priest to now prophets, and Samuel's the first prophet. And so God speaks to Samuel as a prophet, and he is like a rock star in Israel. Right? He's the one that people know about, they've heard legends about, they've heard stories about Samuel. Wherever he goes, people, people want to be near him because of his proximity to God. They want to be able to be close to Samuel. And so everywhere he goes, people want to be around him. Everywhere he goes, people know who he is. They've heard stories about him. And so this is the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. Then we transition to this point where the people come to Samuel. Samuel is getting old and old in age, and his sons were supposed to take over and kind of leading Israel, but his sons are corrupt. They're bad guys, and so the people come in First Samuel chapter eight. It says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. They turn, and they look, and all the other nations have a king. And they figure that must be the way to do it. That must be what we're supposed to do. Because if everyone else is doing it, then we should do it as well. God wanted to be their king. God wanted to be the one leading. But the people rejected him and said, we want a king just like everybody else. So the next few chapters, chapter 8 through 15, is the appointment and the leadership of the new king of Israel, Saul. Saul was tall, Saul was taller than everyone else, Saul was handsome, he was, he was this great example, he came from a wonderful family background, and so Saul was what you would picture as the ideal king. And Saul did a good job for a little bit, but then Saul starts to rely on his pride, rely on his ego, and he begins to uh, turn away from God's ways, and eventually, in, intentionally disobeys God. And because of this, in chapter 15... God speaks through Samuel. Samuel goes to Saul and tells him, "You will be no longer king." He still has the title. He still has the position, but the word is out that God's going to take this away from him. And it says that the spirit of the Lord was removed from Samuel, uh, from Saul. See, when he became king, the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, but Saul has turned from it, and so the spirit of the Lord is removed from Saul, and that's important. We're going to pick up on in chapter 16. And so now, we've made it all the way through this introduction of Samuel to get to David. Chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? See, Samuel has been mourning. Samuel is upset that that Saul is no longer king. He's upset that he even had to tell that to Saul. Probably he's upset he's angry at Saul for turning away from God. He's angry at the people for wanting a king in the first place. Maybe he's even frustrated with himself. Thinking, well, if I had only done a little bit better mentoring Saul, if I'd only done a little bit better directing him, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. But God rebukes him and tells him, stop mourning about what's lost. Because we're going to we have a different plan. And I feel like this is a great example for all of us. How often do we get caught up in mourning that the plan didn't go the way we wanted? We had everything figured out. We thought we knew what, maybe we even thought we knew what God wanted and it all seems to fall apart. And we get caught up mourning and getting stuck there. Samuel was stuck in that idea that Saul is no longer king. Instead of looking about where God is going next... Maybe instead of us getting stuck in what we think has happened, what we perceive as everything falling apart, we need to change our focus to where is God leading us next? So God says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So he sends him, and and Samuel automatically is worried because, wait, how am I supposed to anoint someone else's king? There's a king on the throne, a very powerful king. He says, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. How often does this describe us? That we see God telling us to do something, whether it's when we're reading our scripture or or something along those lines. And it's very clear what we're supposed to do, but we come up with excuses. But God, but God. How can I do this? But God, what about that? I'm not equipped for this. I I can't do that. And I love God's response. Saul, Samuel calls out to him. He's like, but I can't do that. And God just ignores him altogether. It says, Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. All the while, David is headed out that morning to go tend to his sheep. David is the youngest of all the sons of Jesse's sons, and and he's been sent out as the shepherd. A not glorious job, an important one, to protect the family's sheep and and care for them, uh, but not glorious by any means. It was usually the, the job that they would send the servants, the slaves, to. Here they send the youngest son, the the runt of the family, and they send him out. And so Samuel, verse 4, says, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? I think it's interesting we get a glimpse of what it was like in Bethlehem at that time. Here's this great man of God. Here's this one that communicates with the Lord. Here's this rock star. Everyone knew Samuel, had heard legends about Samuel. And when he comes to their little town, they should have been honored. They should have been excited. They should have been privileged. Wow, the man of God is here with us. And instead, they're scared, maybe wondering, what have you heard? Are you here to judge us? Are you here to condemn us? Are we in trouble? Seems like maybe they're not living the best life here, that when they're, they're in the presence of this holy man, they're worried about the judgment that's to come. But Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. If you're familiar with this story, if you've heard it before, grew up in church, I don't know how you envision this story. I was talking with Sarah this week and I, I went, after I was studying, that, I, I went in the home and I said, tell me the story about when Samuel goes to Jesse and, and to name the new king, and, and she tells the story, and I say, but, but tell me what you have always pictured it looked like, and she pictured the same thing that I did, and, and maybe the same thing you did. I always pictured that Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and that they're there in maybe the small, modest, modest house, and, and it's a dirt floor, and it's kind of dark, and, and I picture like a little table with some chairs, and, and here's Jesse and all his sons, and it's kind of cramped, and, and there's Samuel, and it's just them. But that's not what the story tells. I don't know if that's the picture you have, but, the, but what the story tells is that David is there, or uh, Samuel is there, and he comes, and the church leaders, and he tells the church leaders, I'm here to make a sacrifice. Consecrate yourselves. So that's everybody. And, and he invites Jesse to come, and they go to make, an, uh, to make a sacrifice. The sacrifice isn't in Jesse's home. The sacrifice is at the, the altar, at the, at the main point in Bethlehem. All the church, lead, all the village leaders, all the families are there. They've collected, they've all got their kids. Everyone wants to be there <clears throat> in Samuel's presence. Samuel's here to make a sacrifice for all the people. He's here to make a sacrifice for all the people. And so they've gathered together. This is a large crowd. And they've consecrated themselves. And uh, whatever that means, I, we don't know. It doesn't get into details. But they're all prepared for this ceremony. And so the entire town's there. Everybody. Every man, woman, child has come together to watch Samuel. And then it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw, so Jesse and his son arrived. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel hasn't learned his lesson yet, right? And Saul was the ideal, perfect specimen as a king. He was tall, he was handsome, he was good looking, he was strong. But he was not the one that God wanted. And so now, the, along comes the oldest son, and, and Samuel assumes this must be it. When he sees him, he says, surely this is it. He sees that he's tall, he sees that he's, he's probably muscular, he's a great warrior. He's, he probably has perfect hair, he's probably never been shoved in a locker in seventh grade. But that's a whole different story. And so, he, he, this is what David, uh, saw, Samuel sees when he sees this son come. And he says, surely this must be it. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel... Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man, what a great lesson back then and today. What a great lesson for what we're going through as a nation. What are we looking at from the outside? We get caught up in looking at wealth, rich or poor. We got get caught up at looking at skin color. We get caught up looking at education. We get caught up looking at are they too old or too young? Are they man or woman? Are they skinny or fat? All these things. And we get caught up in making judgments from the outside instead of seeing what God sees, which is focusing on the inside. You see, this oldest son, this mighty warrior, the one that you would think would be keen, we see later on has been there on the battlefield watching Goliath come and taunt the Israelites over their God Yahweh and he's done nothing. He hasn't had the courage to stand up for his, for his God. And in fact when David comes and David says, well, why would we let this happen? He even criticizes David and tells him to be quiet and go back to the sheep. This isn't the mighty king that we would expect from outward appearance. It says, then Jesse called Anadab and had him pass in front of Saul, but, or Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. I think this is another story that, I, that hits home with me, maybe with you. Is that Jesse has heard that we're going to, and maybe Samuel has shared, I'm here to anoint the new king. And Jesse's paraded all his sons through in front. Jesse has thought, surely it's my oldest. Okay, okay, maybe it's my second. Maybe it's my third. And he has these plans of who's going to be the next king. Instead of at the beginning saying, Samuel, why don't you tell us what you're looking for? What is God looking for in a king? How often do we do that with our plans, that we have these plans, we have these ideas, we, we know what we're supposed to do, whether it's what we even what we think we're supposed to do for God or just maybe what we're supposed to do in our life. We have these plans, and we just go present them before God, maybe in some prayer, just expecting this rubber stamp. That's what Jesse was doing. Here's the son. Here's the next king. Samuel, put your rubber stamp on it and make him the next king. Instead of turning and saying, what is God's plan for the next king? Instead of us turning to God and saying, well, God, where are you leading me? What do you want from me? So often we create our plans and we want God to come alongside our ideas. Instead of us coming alongside his. There's a proverb, Proverbs 69 says, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. I love that verse because it, it speaks so clearly that we can come up with our plans, but God's the one that needs to be directing us. And so, the story continues, verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are, all these your son, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. The word here for youngest also could mean smallest. The, a lot of people think that maybe Jesse was just caught up in the moment. Right, everyone, Samuel arrives and everyone, all these church leaders are told to go and bring your families and we're going to go make a sacrifice. And so he brings all the sons that are around and, and he just gets caught up in the moment and he doesn't even intentionally leave out David. Some people think that. I don't know, when I see this I think maybe, maybe Jesse did leave out David. It's not just the youngest, but well there's the smallest. There's the runt. There's the one that I know, he's not going to be keen, Samuel. That's why I didn't even invite him. Imagine this, Samuel is like a rock star. Samuel is is this great connection to God. Samuel and all of Israel, everyone wants to be around him, wants to see him, wants to connect with him. And everyone, everyone in Bethlehem has come to the sacrifice. And Jesse didn't even bother bringing the runt from the group. Imagine that night, everyone would have come back and said, David, guess what? We saw Samuel today. Imagine how David was going to feel. You what? Samuel was here in Bethlehem? Why didn't someone come get me? Why didn't someone tell me? And so they sinned for him, and you got to think those kind of things were going through his head. Those kind of things had been going through David's head of, why didn't anyone tell me in the first place? When they come and get him, they say, Samuel's here and he wants you. What do you mean he wants me? Well, we've all been paraded in front of him. Uh, Samuel's been here doing the sacrifice. Wait, what? He's been here all day? How come no one ever told me? How come no one ever got me? How come they just left me out with the sheep? And so David arrives, the runt, the smallest, the youngest. David arrives probably with a broken heart, realizing that dad didn't even care enough to come get me. And so he arrives before Samuel. Verse 12 says, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. That sounds like a good thing in our Western mind. At this time, that would have been like saying he looked boyish. He looked like a child. These aren't compliments to him. These aren't ma- saying that he looks like a warrior. These aren't saying that he looks like a king. These aren't saying that these are this is a person that we should follow. This is saying this little boy came. He looks like a kid. And he arrives. And he goes in front of Samuel and says, Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. David's broken and a weak. David's the runt. David's probably hurt and disappointed that his dad would have left him out there. But this is the one. This is the one that God sees and anoints. It says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. There's, there's this idea. Josephus it was a, uh, a Jewish historian, and, and he says in this, he says that Samuel, the age, whispered in his ear the meaning of the symbol as he was pouring the oil You will be the next king. Imagine that. This young kid, this one that was left behind to watch the sheep, has now been told by the great prophet Samuel You will be the next king. It says Samuel then takes off. And you know what David does? It doesn't say that David goes to, to the palace to learn how to be a king. It doesn't say that David goes and, and studies what it means to, to be a great leader. We, next time we see David, he's back in the field tending the sheep. I don't know if Jesse didn't believe Samuel, if, if Jesse thought that maybe Samuel was mistaken, because if it was my son was appointed to be the next king, I certainly wouldn't be sending him back to watch the sheep. I'd make one of the other sons go or get, get a servant to go. But I wouldn't send David back out. But, but that's where we find him next. And when we see this, there's a great example for us. Because David's going back to the monotonous, ordinary life. And it's not that God sent him to a palace to learn, but to a field to learn to be what it would be to be keen. It was in this time as a shepherd that he was learning patience, that he was learning courage, that he was learning these things that he would need for this chaotic life that he has ahead of us, ahead of him. And and I think it's a great lesson for each of us that sometimes you might feel like you're stuck in this monotonous routine. And you think, why isn't there something better? Isn't there something more for me? Isn't there something that I should be doing? Isn't there something greater? Instead of seeing that maybe this is exactly where God wants us, to prepare us for what is coming next. That in this monotonous life, maybe you feel like you're in a dead-end job and you're frustrated with your boss and, and he just seems like uh, this, this mean guy. Maybe God's preparing you to have patience with his character, to have patience with him. So in the future, when you're in, engaged with someone else that's difficult, you know how to handle it. Maybe a stay at home mom that you feel like, Am I just wasting my life? Why am I spending this much time changing diapers and doing these things? Maybe God is pouring through you this amazing love that is God to be able to pour that onto your kids. And that those kids would be able to go and relay this love that they received from mom to be able to go and change the world. Maybe as a student, you feel like, I just want to be done with these classes. Maybe God has you in these classes. So you're intentionally around the people that you could influence for Christ. Whatever that might be, whatever our pastor is that God has us in, let's not miss that. Because it might be preparing us for where God is leading us in the future. And so all this happens and we see the spirit of the Lord is upon him. We'll see later on, there's a point later on even in this chapter that Saul is tormented by, by bad spirits and, and he just needs something peaceful. And one of, his, one of his workers says, I know a guy. I know a guy that can play the harp. A manly, manly harp playing guy. And, and he says, I know this guy. But the key of the end, he says, and the Lord is with him. The people could see that in David. That there's just something different about him because he has the Lord. And we're gonna see that throughout his life, this time of chaos, and he makes mistakes, he makes sins, he does great things, but all along, either way, God is with him. The spirit of the Lord is upon him. And so in the midst of this, he has the Lord. And in the midst of our chaos, we have God as well. In the midst of chaos, we can cling to Christ <coughs> as David could cling to the spirit of the Lord. See, David was just an ordinary guy. I think that's what we get the most as we're first introduced to him. He's just an ordinary guy, a boyish-looking child that's out with the sheep. But he has an extraordinary God. You and I, we're ordinary. You might not feel like it. Your Your mama might have told you you're special, which is true. But in reality, we're ordinary people. But we have an extraordinary God. And we serve an extraordinary God, and we can cling to that extraordinary God. And so uh, David's life, we're going to see, is going to be chaotic, and it's going to be wild. And in the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at his life, going through the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And throughout that time, we're going to see chaos. But we're going to see David making it through, because he clings to the Lord. And at this time, when we're experiencing chaos, we're going to make it through as we cling to Christ. Around the room, we have communion stations. And and we do this every week, but I don't want you to take it lightly that, oh, it's just time for communion. I want us to be able to take a moment, a few moments right now, between you and the Lord, to cling to Him. To cling to Christ. Because He came and He died on the cross and He rose again. And because of that, we can cling to our salvation. Because of that, we can cling to the fact that our sins are wiped clean. Because of that, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of us not knowing where our, our, if we're going to be able to find a job, not knowing when our kid, how our kids are going to go back to school, not knowing what it's going to be, not gonna knowing if we're going to be able to be at a restaurant next week if or if mandates change, not knowing any of this, that we can cling to Christ. And at this time of communion, we can come to Him, and we can thank Him, that we have peace, we can thank Him that... We have his love. We can think of that we have the consistency of salvation. So at this time of communion, remind you that as David was able to cling to the spirit of the Lord that was with him from then on, that we have that same spirit and we have Christ who came for us. I'm gonna pray and then you're you're free to dismiss to go to these stations. We got one over there, a couple on the back, and then one on this side, to be able to go and partake. And spend a moment clinging to Christ in the midst of our chaos. Lord, thank you for your love for us. And God, we come to you and just lift this up to you, this prayer that we could cling to you. God, there is chaos all around us as there was in David's life. And and I don't know when it's gonna get better. And for some of us, it's gonna get worse. and, And God, either way, we know we can cling to you. We thank you that we have you We thank you that we have the assurance of salvation. We thank you that Jesus came and took away our sins, that we can cling to Christ. And God, let us do so now. We lift this up in your name.